Howdy. Thanks for listening to Let the Movie Speak. Before we get started, uh, we'd like to ask a favor of you. It's a simple favor. If you could just rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen, that might help other ears get into our ecosystem here and hear another episode. Anyway, enjoy the show. Greetings, listeners. This is uh, Travis. What's cracking? This is Jay Money. <laughs> okay. Uh, we are back for the sixth, sixth, yes, and final installment of our heist series on heist movies. Justin, how did you enjoy the heist series? It's been a little more complex and in, in a good way than the the 30s i don't know how we lucked out with i mean we picked the movies but we hadn't seen them all for the 30s but it turned out to be a really strong mix overall of movies yeah obviously some were way better than others but for the, the heist movies been it, the waves have been a little higher and a lower the yeah. tide has come out and the moon has been in the equinox yes stop there yeah but um you know so I, I i've enjoyed it some of the movies honestly have been a bit of a letdown i really wanted certain movies especially crisscross to be better than they were but but that's just that's the way it goes sometimes um and super excited to talk about today's movie because i think we're ending on a really high note yes higher highs and lower lows just in general yeah uh but fun for sure. Uh, I think the bad movies were a little bit more fun bad than maybe the bad movies from the 30 series. But oh l- yeah, luckily again we're not gonna uh, hold our cards too close to the vest. This isn't a bad one today. It's kind of a good no, kind of a good no. One. When when I said a high note, I did not mean that I had just snorted a line of Lacoca. Uh, <laughs> um we uh yeah yeah, no this is a this is a fantastic movie yeah so very very excited to talk about it so we'll get into edgar wright's 2017 baby driver the the youngest of all of the films that we have covered thus far uh but before we do that as we normally do uh we're going to get into what we watched this week and right before we do that, we just want to once again thank you guys for tuning in and uh, bringing um, all of your comments and feedback and uh, ratings and reviews and all the things on social media. We appreciate it. Uh, we do this uh, out of the depths and the cockles of our heart. And mm. uh, and uh, we just hope that what we're bringing is something you want to hear and we're going to keep doing it. So even if it's not, uh, okay, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, what do you say? We, we tell them what we watched this week, Justin, let's roll tape. You 
said roll tape, almost like a foreshadowing to... Uh, the almost. Oh, okay. Uh, well, before I uh, tell you what is going to end my superhero movie viewing experience for some time, <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us what you watched this week? Oh, okay. Well, since you're going to talk about superheroes, I guess I should too. Um, so I started, uh, if you've listened to the show at all, you probably have noticed that we um, have been watching WandaVision. That's now long in the past, and by the time this is released, uh, people will have forgotten what that is, um, because that's the collective, it's a comment about um, collective memory in American <laughs> society, Travis. I got it. Um, oh, thanks, thanks, man. I smell what you're yeah. putting down, yeah. Oh, okay. Gracias, uh, muchas. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I decided, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to really kind of do a curveball, really dig deep, uh, and and watch the brand new thing on Disney Plus, uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. (sighs) Having, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Heavy side. Yeah, Uh, so even watching the trailer for that, I was super uh, discouraged. Um, I, I don't know, you know, like Travis, we, I, I, I feel like hopefully to our credit, we try to kind of have a wide range of stuff we watch, right? Yeah. We're not just all about like Christopher Nolan pretentious films. And, uh, this is not meant to be like an art house podcast, although, Hey, I mean, we do love some of that stuff, but it's not like that, that we just love film, you know, just freaking, I don't care if it's a Kung Fu movie, you know, I don't care if it's a romantic comedy do it well, and and I'm there, you know, because yeah. I think you and I both just love the form. Yes. Um. So, so with that, you know, I I want to give you know Falcon and the Winter Soldier a chance, and and even have him watch the trailer. I think, well, gosh, hopefully it's not just a lot of kick puncher, and uh, hopefully there's some <laughs> kick puncher and fly there. guy. That's what it looked yeah. like. <laughs> uh. So, um, the the show starts out essentially as kick puncher and fly guy, or mostly just fly guy. With really good lines like "Red Wing deploy" oh and a CGI freaking thing comes off of Anthony Mackie's CGI suit and goes wow 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 and you know like shoots lasers and yeah. just does st- and it has no so you know like best case scenario in the Marvel verse when you have side characters that aren't real I thought Doctor Strange did a really good job of pulling that off yeah his cape is like a character and it's kind of fun and I I. I would have expected that not to succeed, um, but I guess they were just saving the not success for Red Wing, because uh, he <laughs> he freaking should have fell out of the sky and burned and exploded. Wow! But unfortunately, that doesn't doesn't quite happen in this episode anyway. Maybe that's how uh, Sam Wilson will get really angry and turn into the Hulk or something. That would be amazing but, um, if he became the Hulk, but flying yeah. Hulk. That would be cool, huh? Hulk with wings. Yes. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you won't like me when I'm flying. <laughs> Did you? Oh my uh, gosh! So, um, anyway, yeah, he. Uh, so thankfully, this set action piece that kind of starts the show is is mercifully over. And again, this is not like this isn't because I think like you know we just need to have David Lynch always um, talking about his dreams for for cinema to be compelling. Um, I, I love action. Like we're going to talk about Baby Driver today. Yeah, that's what the I was going to say. It, the this, action that's choreographed in here is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's yeah. hecka fun to watch. The set you know? pieces are the movie. Uh, hecka. Yeah. Hecka. Right. It, and uh, and unfortunately, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's hecka 
not fun to watch. It's just a drag. <laughs> it's just a bunch of CGI and like, how many helicopters are going to come out at this guy? You know, all of them. It just gets gets old after a while. Yeah, and really good lines from people on the ground like, "He's outnumbered." It's like he freaking idiots. He's been one guy fighting these people. He's always been outnumbered. What are you talking about? Um. Anyway, so they they come. They down should from just the dumb sky. that down even more. There are a lot of helicopters up there. <laughs> <laughs> they might. I think that line mercifully got cut. Oh, uh, but just barely. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, other lines that are in there that are just as bad. Um. So we have a little bit more of the problem of you know regular people being treated like idiots. Um, yeah. You know. Or uh, so there's a side character that is a like military officer, but um. You know, kind of, I don't know if I want to mention that, but there, there's just this, there's this, there's this thing where it's like, oh, they have to just talk like they're like relatable. So that means they're idiots. And right. it's like, you're not going to be, you cannot be a lieutenant in the United States Army and be like, yo, what's up? All right. This is what I, you feel me? You know, it's like, what the heck is going on? It's not a cultural <laughs> thing. I think the guy's, or maybe he's Hispanic. I don't know. Um, I thought he was white, but on second thought, he might be Hispanic. But it's not—it's not like they're trying to make him a caricature. They're just trying to make him like some kind of hip, cool guy. Yeah. And instead, he just comes off as a buffoon. So, uh, big fat fail there. But to this show's credit, once we get on the ground and we we've stopped with the CGI onslaught, it does actually turn into what might be an interesting closer study of these two characters, and you know. For um, I'll I'll ruin I'll ruin a little bit of the major arc of this episode for you, Travis. And ruin then, it. And you can you can tell me what you think. So the beginning starts off with Sam, right? Sam Wilson, the Falcon, who has been given Captain America's shield at the end of Endgame, right? Steve passes it on to him, and Sam is pretty pretty reluctant in Endgame, and I think honestly, as the audience, um, <laughs> I don't know if I just speaking for myself, but I was like, yeah, this guy didn't really. He didn't earn it. Like I, I get we're I guess we're passing the mantle, but like what did he he just freaking flies and punches people. I haven't seen the same kind of, you know, like Captain America was Captain America and that character worked because he was this embodiment of like, you know, how good America could be morally and and ethically you know and and as a strong man yeah um and even when like, it meant I, going up against the military industrial complex right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so well and i just don't get the same from from sam you know it has nothing to do with with like his history or He's like a thinner what's, character I, I just, yeah there's not really much written just like yeah. kind of the the problem at first with wanda vision right but which kind of started to fix it from episode one so in in the beginning of this episode, he he gives the shield back to the Smithsonian, and he's like, you know what, guys? He gives this presentation like in front of a crowd when they're doing this Captain America, the unveiling of like a Captain America tribute or display or something at the Smithsonian. He says, you know, essentially, I'm I'm not I'm not Captain America. What what made the shield great was the man behind it, and he's gone now. We don't have that anymore. And I was like, okay, interesting. That that's fine. So. So the rest of the episode is him trying to work out family drama and, you know, trying to help his sister who's got a really struggling, uh, a struggling family business um, and just some interesting, you know, they're very minor right now, but there's some interesting things that might turn into actual racial critique of America, which would be really great and bold for Marvel. Um, for instance, when when this guy and an Avenger, you know, a world famous dude yeah. sits down in front of a banker and and in this trying to argue like hey we need a we need a small business loan or something the uh the banker says 
he looks at he looks at Sam Wilson and says, "Where do I know you from? Did you used to play football from LSU?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, wow. this guy, that's a world famous, you know, Avenger is, you know, oh, you're a black dude. Uh, do you play football around here? Like, yeah. oh boy. Uh, so uh, a couple doozies in a good way, and and the same for um, uh, I don't remember the actor's name. Sorry, guys, but uh, the guy that plays Bucky Barnes." Um, he is given a lot of material, some really interesting, starting to take some interesting steps to talk about, you know, his, his trauma of forcibly murdering people over the last uh, half century or whatever. Um, and it's, it's done fairly well. They don't even come together at the end. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier are, are not, there's no and in this episode. Yeah. They're totally separate. And I think the kind of slower burn has been to this show's credit so far. Um, so interested to see where they go with these characters. Now, now here's how this episode ends, Travis. We've had the Smithsonian, and they're like, "All right, yep, you do." And and this guy that takes the shield from Sam in the beginning, he says, "Thanks for doing this. You you did the right thing by bringing this to us, mm-hmm. right?" It's like, okay, whatever. The end of the episode, Sam's sister says, "Sam, sit down. You got to watch this." And she turns on the TV, and it's that same guy from the Smithsonian, and he's like. We've given another news conference, and he says, we need a new hero for today. We need someone that represents America's values. And out they parade this new guy in Captain America's garb with the shield. Wow. And so immediately it's like, oh, I mean, it uh, I, as me at least, personally as the audience, I went, oh, my gosh. this is the fr- I, I, Now I want Sam Wilson to be Captain America. And and what a what a slap in the face that yeah. they're like ah the black guy's not good enough let's go get a white guy yeah. and uh, dress him up and and that'll make people feel better so kind of, a few unexpected turns I I can't really say if it's going to be good or not you know um, I I want to give it the benefit of the doubt but but hopefully more to come that that is good um, so that's what I got there sir L- tell me about your superhero week well um just I'm just I'm just letting you know now. Um, my commentary on this movie will not be as long as this movie. Uh, <laughs> okay. Otherwise. How long is this movie? Uh, this movie is four hours long, and so I think you know what it is. Four hours. Uh, is it Gone with the Wind? Well, you're That's getting, not a superhero movie. Not quite four hours. No, it is. Oh. It is. It is a Zack Snyder's Justice League, also oh, known boy. as layman's terms as the Snyder cut hashtag Snyder cut. Um, Mm. So here's the thing is I watched, I think not all of, but most of the DC newer stuff when I got HBO max, like in this summer, because I was like, Oh, they have all the Batman movies. And then I realized, Oh, they have even the new, uh, you know, Batman V Superman and man of steel and all those. I've never even dipped my toe into the DC pool because I kind of went and saw, Marvel movies for a while there in theaters like the rest of the world. Um, but I didn't ever, um, I, I wasn't a comic book kid growing up, so I didn't have like Marvel or DC Allegiance. And this kind of genre movie, the superhero blockbuster, was a little bit adjacent to my jam, which would be like Star Wars, you know, or Indiana Jones yeah. or something Spielbergian. Um, but so the Snyder movies, right? Man of Steel. Uh, Batman v Superman, um, and then you know there was also the Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman and the Aquaman movie. Those are all like kind of up and down, well regarded and very not well regarded critically. And then you have this like 
this this <laughs> cult of Zack Snyder acolytes, people who are so obsessed with him and his style and his freaking moody storytelling that, um, you know, he made a bunch of money with those movies, but not quite enough um, with those first two Superman flicks and the second one being the Batman v Superman that the studio was starting to, you know, lose some faith. And if you don't know the whole Zack Snyder chronicle about what happened around the Justice League movie, I'm not going to give you the bolt by bullet on it because it's all over the internet and you can go read for yourself. I would recommend if you want to know like what happened in a well-written piece, not on some like nerdy blog that's not well-written and is like, we want justice for Zack Snyder because blue, whatever. Um, I sent this to Justin too, but there's a really good Vanity Fair article uh, written by Anthony Bresnikin, and it's um, it's a lot more personal uh, and interview based with 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 Zack Snyder, and it really doesn't center around like controversy. It centers around what happened to him uh, throughout that process, and basically the crux of it is the studio was losing faith, and they were kind of babysitting him because they wanted the movie to be a billion dollar Avengers level, you know, box office explosion. And uh, it didn't end up being quite that. It made plenty of money and it was kind of okay reviewed by fans and kind of okay reviewed by critics, which was not, it didn't hit the bar for um, what Warner Brothers it would be, right? Um, And uh, in the midst of shooting this movie with all that kind of studio heat and the pressure of just what it's like to make a big blockbuster movie, uh, Zack Snyder and uh, his wife, uh, they experienced a horrible loss. Their, their, I think, 20-year-old or 19-year-old um, daughter uh, took her own life and obviously shook their family to the core. And basically, the the, the story that you read in the article um, is they just didn't feel like they could fight the studio fight while also trying to hold it together, you know, um, through this terrible thing. So Joss Whedon comes in. And if you know Joss Whedon, it's like, you know, back in the 90s, he was like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer guy on TV. He was like very popular TV writer. He also came into the Marvel Universe and he ended up directing, uh, among other things, Age of Ultron, I think, which is uh, not the best Marvel movie, but um, known for his like snappy, witty, kind of jokey style uh, of like script punch ups and that kind of stuff. Um, so they brought him in to kind of do some reshoots and finish the job. And the movie that came out was not what Snyder wanted. Bottom, the bottom line is the movie that came out in 2017 is not Zack Snyder's vision at all. In fact, only like 25% of Zack Snyder's footage was left is, is sort of what people are saying anecdotally. So this movie has a long road, but now on HBO Max, you have something called Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is what he literally took with him from the production on his laptop. And uh, it is, this is what I'll say about it. It is fully, fully uncut, right? If you've ever seen a director's <laughs> cut of a movie like Blade Runner or uh, what's another director's cut example, Justin? Uh, Peter Jackson with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, like the extended edition of those. Um, and yeah, anything like that, this is, you know, some director's cuts are just different cuts and they have some added footage, but it's like, I don't know, 10% maybe is kind of normal. 15%. Yeah. Um, the Peter Jackson, you know, epic Lord of the Rings movies have more than that, but it's like the scope kind of warrants it. If you're looking for that, 
this is a lot more along the lines of something like that because you took a two-hour movie. The studio had a two-hour mandate, so the 2017 theatrical cut was two hours long, no longer, and this is four full hours. Like, we're talking two movies, basically. This is literally two movies. And what it is is... It's what it's exactly what Zack Snyder wanted. So you get he did not take a paycheck to do this seventy million dollar project of re-editing this movie. No reshoots were done. Only existing footage was used. Um, and they did do some additional shooting, which are like a couple added scenes, but no reshoots of of existing scenes. Just a just a ton, a ton of re-editing and putting stuff back in, basically. And what you can imagine is uh you know when things get edited out of movies sometimes it's not good and those deleted scenes would have made things make made sense and sometimes dang that should have been left on the cutting room floor i mean holy cow right like not every movie needs everything that they shot for for goodness sakes right and it's much the same here um i i'm not a Zack snyder fan um i think he has a very distinctive aesthetic style that has potential and like is singularly uh, envisioned by him you can't watch the 300 or Watchmen or anything that he's done you know Sin City or anything like that and not see that it's a Zack Snyder movie and there's something to be said for that um, he's a real artistic vision to the way he directs but he also like does a bad job telling stories like his 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 storytelling ability his narrative constructions are messy and exploitative to particularly women, but just like people and violence and stuff. It's just not my not my favorite dude to tell a story. Um, and what you see in Justice League is basically a version of the 2017 movie, which sucked, by the way, um, that does a way better job of making sense of its massive scope of a story, a la like a Lord of the Rings, to be honest. There's a lot of this that feels like um, kind of like pseudo middle earth e and how big it gets because they bring in a whole new villain above the villain that existed in 2017 there's whole new sequences all the sequences you saw in the 2017 version are, are shuffled or you know remixed or re-edited and there's very little uh that looks that similar because it all aesthetically looks different the story's told in a different way it's got chapter cuts you know six different parts or something like that and okay so this is the the end all be all of it for me is uh, it's too freaking long. Uh, four hours is too long. Uh, maybe as a series on a, on a streaming service, this would have made a lot more sense, you know? And if like, if you want to binge it, binge it, but like, I don't know, the, these six chapter marks really just cried out for like breaks, you know, like walk away from it for a while. But more than that, it's like, there's so much in here that like some of it makes the plot make more sense and all this nonsense about, you know, MacGuffins called mother boxes that have to be found and collected so that this evil dark side Thanos type character in the DC universe can, you know, destroy the world. You got to get the team together, like in the Avengers, all of that stuff is like, you know, it's pretty par for the course, honestly. But everything that is good about this movie is better in Snyder's version. And then there's just a whole lot else that is not good still. Like, it's so freaking CGI heavy and so uh, morose. Like, that's the one thing about Zack Snyder that I just don't, um, I just can't get on board with. Is like, there's like so little humor and they they really only use Ezra Miller's uh, The Flash for humor. And I... Uh, it must be an acquired taste. It must be a subjective comedy. I This guy like just kind of bothers me. He doesn't make me laugh. And for that reason, it's just like there's not any laughs to be had, really. Um, so there's some good action sequences. 
Um, everything that that kind of worked in 2017 works better here. Uh, the characters all have way more meaningful arcs, but in the end, it's just uh, it's just a hot CGI soup of sadness and 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 I can't help but think, uh, Justin. I don't know after reading that article that I know you read too that like a lot of this is filtered through like not just his kind of morose style before his family tragedy, but now it's like a lot of the a lot of the characters like they they tussle with the idea of like a uh, you know bad kid father relationship and you see that like three or four mm-hmm. times in this movie um so yeah. yeah like there's some guilt there maybe yeah perhaps maybe. some projected guilt or just some like lingering processing the grief or like yeah. you know whenever anyone in your family dies you have that kind of like what what could i have done or was this sure. my fault or that's just normal human process but um yeah it's not fun it's better than 2017 and it's super long and it is my last superhero movie for a while. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> it just well, it, it sucked the life out of me. In in speaking of sucking the life out of you, let me ask you then, wh- what was your favorite of these 3 from that movie? I'm going to give you three options here. Yeah. The anti-life equation. Oh my god. Parademons. Yeah. Or mother boxes. Mm-hmm. Which of those is your favorite? <sighs> Um, of those three, my favorite is the anti-life equation because <laughs> it, it, it doesn't show up enough to be stupid and ridiculous. I mean, it's stupid and ridiculous because they don't ever, it's one of those Easter egg. This is so annoying, dude. When, when they're constructing comic book universes, they just throw random stuff in that is, you know, utter fan service for people who love the comic books and been reading them for years and years. But for people who are just trying to watch a movie, it does not make any sense. Like they, they mentioned this thing, the anti-life equation. And it's like, okay, we know it's here on earth. We have to find it because it can do bad things. And that's like, that's it. That's it. And it doesn't even really come into play. Uh, they say, you know, at the end of the movie, it's like, well, we're going to have to find the anti-life equation and do this the old way or some, what is that? What are you talking about? You know? Um, yeah. I don't know. Man, man. It sounds awesome. Yeah. And then you got to, so I, and I think what DC fails to kind of realize is they have a way different universe. They could carve out that would be more in line with their comic world. Maybe. Sure. You know, I was more of a Marvel kid, admittedly, but, um, you know, as a kid that enjoyed comics, um, which frankly is kind of weird to me now that it's just like in vogue for adults. It's like, this is, this is a medium that's created for like juveniles. So, um, <laughs> it's not necessarily going to have a lot of merit forever for adult adults, but beyond nostalgia. Anyway, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that's not, not necessarily going to be a popular opinion, but, uh, Feel free to give us a thumbs down, um, you know. But it, it, it's just like the 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 idea that DC seems to have is like, hey, Marvel is doing this. We own superheroes. Let's copy them, but darker. And it's right. like, no, no, it's not. That's a recipe for what you have, which yeah. is just a bunch of movies that overall are are not very good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you know. I mean, there's some there's great talent behind some of these movies. Yeah. Um, or a lot of them, but it just it, it you can't see it through all the CGI, through the idea that it has to be super serious and somber. Um, and, and yeah, and yeah you said they have different comic book universes, and I think on the one hand that is what sinks the ship because like Zack Snyder, I think does get this. I just don't think he knows how to like tonally adjust to give some 
humanity and some levity like mixed in with the idea that yes the dc you know superheroes are gods among men they're not people right. with superheroes and superhero powers like there's a difference right. there and uh you know they're not imbued with special powers because they got bit by a spider it's like superman came to earth because he's a literal alien among us you know so I mean, there, there's a difference there, but it, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way to yeah. pull this off that's not such, like, nasty medicine to swallow. It's just so, like, mournful and morose, you know? It's just so, like, it's like walking through molasses trying to get to the point of these things. And, yeah, uh, like we've talked about before, Travis, with uh, Snyder seems to kind of want to take, like, a Greek mythology approach. Oh, yeah, as for an approach sure. would be would be beautiful. I'd be, I would love to see... Somebody who, you know, um, was different, uh, take the reins and, and make that like, how, how can we make the DC universe kind of like the heroes of old in the Iliad, you know, instead of Achilles, we've got Aquaman, you know, um, but what makes those that the Iliad or the Odyssey, um, or any of those old myths, if that's the route they want to go work to me, is that yes, they dealt with very powerful, you know, very human themes, albeit on a godlike scale, but then they still had times where these characters sang and where they danced and where they when they laughed and there was peace for a time. You know, and so that's just totally missing. Everything is always in crisis and these heroes just run from miracle to miracle uh and the, and the sky is literally falling all the time. Yep. And it just it just makes for the, no one's going to be eating shawarma after <laughs> no you know, no no in the dc universe yeah. um they're all going to be injecting heroin into yes. their arms and as uh, they do and, at the end of the snyder cut it they all do that it all happens yeah, yeah. well no. and and you're talking about the end and doesn't in the end they have another cameo from another superhero martian mm. manhunter or whatever it's like why are, why that's why are we doing uh, that? that that just feels very par for the course for all these franchises you know it's like we yep. got to throw something in here to pull you into the next one even though there won't be a next one because snyder's probably not coming back you know so right i mean it's his vision for what would have happened next but yeah there's you know he it's it's all of that easter egg buffoonery to like drag you into the next movie without making a good one right now you know which is so frustrating yeah, yeah. Um, and it's also like he he just feels like he has to put a harder edge on things, which is very in line with like, you know, post 9-11 filmmakers like Chris Nolan, yep. who executive produced this and his first movie, Man of Steel, and I think did like script uh, stuff with him on, on that one, too. So, I mean, oh, good job. Yeah, it's not it's not my it's not my jam. I don't think I don't think uh, Batman dropping the F-bomb is like cool in and of itself. I just think it's right. like, look at me. I can make Batman do this. And uh, it's not fun. Yeah, and, the, <laughs> and, and then in and, and speaking of not fun, again, we're talking about comic book characters. Yeah. So as a medium, generally speaking, these comics were made for, for us when we were kids. Yeah, these for, for sure. Our, yeah. Our parents when they were kids. And I used to play with a Batman action figure and I watched Batman cartoons and I tried to use Batman's grappling hook uh, toy from the action figure to cr climb over the garden wall. And uh, my mother saved me probably from killing myself uh, before I got too high up. Um, but, you, you know, there's just the, the childlike wonder and the, and the goodness of those characters. That's all ruined when you have characters say, fuck the world. Yeah. It's like, what? If this franchise isn't supposed to sell kids' toys, and I get there's the whole, like, you know, Star Wars kind of devolved just into selling action figures, 
But I mean, we're, we're talking about characters that, that like that's their primary medium. Yeah, like, they came to film. Film didn't be, beget them. Yeah. So I, I feel like the irreverence kind of for for the source material just alienates little Susie and and little Johnny. Yeah. Um, if your mom and, had seen the Snyder cut, she might have let you fall off the wall and kill yourself. That's all I have to say. <laughs> this is the way, baby. Should we? Yeah. Should we get into something more fun than the Dude, Snyder let's cut? Let's get out of here. Okay. Yeah. I'm getting depressed. What's in the case? That information is necessary. Is it heavy? Is it explosive? Is it chained to some unlucky bloke's wrist? We're going to have to chop it off. All right. What in the bag she gave you? She didn't give me a bag. (laughs) Melanie was not a part of the plan. Oh, no, we can get through the rock. No worries there. Easiest thing in the world. Why would we just blow right through it? Ten ought to do it, don't you think? You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. Hey, speaking of one more, uh... Hey, let me just reel you in, uh, dear listener, because next season we had 10. We had 10 for the 30s, mm, 10 movies. Yes. Check it out. The 40s, we've moved ahead one decade. Do you think we need one more? We sure did. So <laughs> get ready for 11 movies from the 40s, everybody. Yes. All right? Buckle up. 11 from the 40s because we could not whittle it down to 10 and there weren't. 12 that made sense well that's true too i mean there were but like we if we don't cut ourselves off i mean the 40s 40s have you know i would say like i was less familiar with the 30s so the 40s yeah. stuff i was looking at was like oh this all looks so good you know i just like a little bit more interested because i just know some of those titles better not necessarily seen them more but but yeah i'm i'm stoked to get into the 40s man that's gonna be that's gonna be a blast it shall be. It shall be a ring-ting kind of day. And that was supposed to be like a Frank Sinatra thing, but I'm pretty sure he never said ring-ting. He definitely didn't um, roll his R's like some weirdo. He didn't. Oh, it's Frank Sinatra. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Baby Driver 2017. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is an Edgar Wright uh, joint. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> okay. um, the... Uh, I don't. I kind of want to save the cast stuff for the the, the meat and potatoes because I think we're going to center okay. a, around them. But it's got a great cast overall, uh, full yeah. of people you know and a, maybe a few you you don't. But um, Edgar Wright as a director and writer uh, strikes me as the guy who really did have like pretty full creative control, not unlike you know Thief by Michael Mann or something like yeah. that. Um, this is my first time seeing Baby Driver. Justin, what about you? I was privileged to see it in the theater. Oh. Um, I guess I'm getting older because I thought that was like six months ago, but apparently <laughs> 2017 was not six months ago. That's what my doctor told me today. Yeah. Um. So. And then he said, uh, take yeah, these pills. Yeah. It was, yeah, right. I mean, you got to take, uh, what I learned is you have to take all of them, not just <laughs> the ones where you're like, oh, blue looks fun. I think you might want to get know, a new the, doctor. <laughs> the doctor was like, well, and, and, and to the doctor's credit, she had to steer me in the right direction. You know, right. she's like, no, 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 Justin, you have to take these all. And they go in your mouth. Oh, yeah. okay, right. And so that was the problem. I was doing some experiments and they weren't working out. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, b- back to Baby Driver. Uh, yes, I did see it in the theater long before I started therapy. Right. And uh, and and really enjoyed it. Uh, was really fun. I, I and I don't know if you saw the trailer for this when it came out, but I remember the trailer. The, yeah. Yeah. The the trailer's popping with personality. Yes. Um. And and the trailer does sell the movie as it is. Yes. Um, yes. That's true. 
And and so uh, and to Edgar Wright's credit and the editor's credit, especially, um, which is a discussion. Hopefully, we can have a little bit. Um, that this movie really comes together. This is a work of technical art. Yeah, and and it's not just it. This is a really well-rounded movie. I think it's got it has some heart. It has some emotion. Yeah. Um. And and seems to it doesn't sacrifice technicality. Doesn't mean that there's no story and and vice versa. Um. So it's it's a really it's kind of a rare bird. Yeah. And overall, this is a movie to me that is um in, increasingly rare. Uh, especially <laughs> just talking about Justice League. Yeah. This is a movie where like this is what movies. Even though this is 2017, right? We've always had those movies um, eat from the 30s, from the from the beginning of film that are just fun to watch. Sure. They're just like I, I I love this experience going to the movie theater and watching a movie and just enjoying it, you know, and being to escape a little bit, but you know, hopefully have something to chew on too. And this movie is very much in tradition of that. I feel like this is a movie that I enjoy watching. Uh, and that doesn't ask me to, you know, think about whether I want to kill myself at the end. Yeah. Um, but does actually have something to say. Yeah. So, there's uh, good, like, you know, actions and consequences happening here. It's not all fluff and just, just fun. But man, it is a whole, a whole bucket of fun. And uh, the Academy recognized the editing, sound mixing, and sound editing nominated for all those three things. Uh, it didn't win any of them because of a man who we've already mentioned on this episode, whose name mm. is Christopher Nolan in his film Dunkirk. And thank goodness the Academy never errs, um, <laughs> like the Pope. Uh, right. They're just perfect. Um, so that's really cool that we can trust their decision making. Absolutely. I think that's that's kind of a slap in the face for this movie. Um, you know, we're, we're you know Christopher Nolan is is talented, maybe a bit pretentious as we've discussed yeah um but um yeah to me this is a this is a clear winner yeah and i mean like can they ever just choose fun over like dunkirk you know like i'm sorry right. but like war movie war movies get such a leg up at the oscars it's just ridiculous, it's ridiculous. yeah it, yeah and it doesn't matter if it's schindler's list worthy right or or the hurt locker which is like what are we you yeah. know why yeah. why guys why but anyway all you guys. I don't know the answer. I don't think they know the answer. What's your uh, history with Edgar Wright? What do you have you seen his earlier stuff, and what did you think? Yeah, I've seen Hot Fuzz, yep. which I enjoyed, um, and uh, I have. I was interested in seeing Scott Pilgrim. Haven't seen that, so I, that might be the only other Wright movie I've seen. How okay. about you? Uh, I think I've seen a few. So Shaun of the Dead is awesome um hot fuzz is excellent and i saw the world's end which is like the third in that simon Pegg nick frost trilogy where they're some version of friends throughout the ages um and uh all super fun hot fuzz is my favorite of those three which is like a you know just like it's like making fun of action movies um you know like classic action movies like point break and all those um and then uh, i think that's it until baby driver but he is doing a Stephen King adaptation uh, at some point and now I'll Oh, be, you must be excited. I'm you Stephen excited. King yeah, it, fan. Well, it's The Running Man. So it's not like a straight horror, it's like a dystopian uh you know, it came out with with Schwarzenegger in the 80s. It's like a dystopian reality show. It's Well, dude, if Schwarzenegger's been there and done that, it's never going to be done better. Well, as, as it's said. Yeah. Um it's just I common forgo- knowledge. I had forgotten about that rule, but you know, I'll, right. I'll I might watch it anyways. So Oh, okay. 
Yeah. So I think we both have a little bit of Edgar Wright uh, history. We like what we saw so far. This was our intro section uh, where we hatched the plan. And now let's see what the goods are. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. I want to take over his operation and I need you to help me break it. What do do to me, eh? I've got Jessel's money. I thought it was understood that when it came to our little enterprise, mom was the word. All right. Uh, We've already talked about this in our high series a few times, and I think we're going to keep coming back to the idea that this was a fantastic way to end this series because it's a much more modern film. You know, it's it's only six years, five years old, you know, and there's a lot of imprint, I think, Justin, um, from what we've watched so far in this movie. Uh, and it takes all those things and kind of gathers them up and puts 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 them in the Edgar Wright blender of style and, you know, just like snappiness. Um, but I think we would be best served. Uh, I'm going to read the log line because it's one you could put on a napkin like a lot of these heist movies are. And then let's just pick characters, I think. Does that sound okay to you? That sounds really good. And just before you do that, I, I have to ask, are you painting while you're doing this podcast? I mean, I could look across the table, I guess, yeah, and, I'm, and look at you. I'm painting but, a, are, a small mural. I mean, okay, is that wrong? Because I, I hear a sound like you just dropped the paintbrush in a cup of water. Well, and so I made a mistake. Uh, so, And it's happening again. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I'm okay. going to read the log line. And um, and then we'll go through some characters. Uh, okay. Here's the logline. Oh, After being coerced into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver finds himself taking part in a heist doomed to fail. That's pretty on, I feel like, pretty on point. Um, and the reason I think uh, going through characters at a time might make more sense is because this movie, the, the plot is a little bit, uh, who cares? Like... This guy drives really well. He gets involved with some folks he shouldn't be, and he has a love interest. That's it, right? Like, that's that's right. kind of all you need to know. It does take some interesting twists and turns, but it's not like a plot-driven movie. It's a character-driven movie, wouldn't you say? Yes. No, absolutely. And Baby Driver, you know, the main character's name is Baby. There you go. If you haven't seen the movie, now you can figure it out. B-A-B-Y. Uh, B-A-B-Y drives this movie. Okay. I don't know why you... Forrest Gump is saying <laughs> Forrest that. Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bye-bye. <laughs> Baby driver. Mama always said driving a car is fast and furious. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a crossover. His That's mom fast, was really weird, by the way. Fast yeah. 13. Yeah. Forrest lives. Yes. It's going to be really good. Forrest um, lives. Oh, we should uh, put the poster for that up on our socials. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um. It, so yeah, I mean, he he does. He is the driver, and uh, if we want to get to little Christopher Nolan, he drives the picture. That's right. Right into your living room. Yes. Um. Rolling the R's again, folks. <laughs> yeah. This is uh. This is this is a story where um. From from start to finish, it's kind of dependent on what all the other characters are kind of moved. If you step back and think about it, I think they're all moved by the choices that Baby makes. Yeah. Um, and so while he does seem very much like a like an accessory to the machinations of everyone else, 
uh, by the movie's end, it's it's pretty clear that he is kind of the agent of uh, of change in this movie. So yes, so An- um, Ansel Elgort as Baby, uh, he's the lead. We'll we'll keep coming back to him. But in general, uh, there's a point you know later on in the movie where he has a line. Uh, that he he says to Deborah, his love interest waitress uh, at what Bo's Diner, I think is what it's called. Bo's Diner, what do you have? I'll have a box of chocolates. No, um, uh, he says, uh, "I want us to head west on the twenty in a car we can't afford with a plan we don't have. Uh, keep driving and never stop." And that is totally a line. I don't know if you kind of felt this, Justin, but like if that was in voiceover in the asphalt jungle, we would have made fun of it. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it works because Ansel Elgort is like, he's selling this like subdued, uh, he gets rid of all the hamminess from that dialogue on the page. And it, and it just fits within this big puzzle of like, it's stylized consistently and, and well. It's not like some normal kind of feeling movie where someone says something crazy hyperbolic sounding like that. It all kind of goes together. Yeah. And in the movie, even though I think there are times when we're and and we're, we're, we're asked and I think we're willing to suspend our, our, our sense of belief um, to participate in this movie. Uh, You know, there's other times where the movie wants to kind of wink at you with that. I'm thinking of especially when uh, the character Darling makes her little brief monologue about Buddy. Yes. To uh, to Jamie Foxx's Bats yes. character, and uh, and it's just it it is exactly that. It's hammy. It's over the top. It doesn't belong in any movie. Definitely not this one. And then Jamie Foxx calls it out. He starts clapping and says, "That's some that's some Oscar shit right yeah. there, or something." And yeah. it's like, yes, that's the way to handle that line for this universe. So yep. it seems really aware of of how to, it, but it's able to sell things that are really kind of serious. I'm thinking of maybe it's probably a little too early, but if we can circle back to one of Kevin Spacey's last lines, yeah, um, we're really able to have characters say things that are meaningful. And that bring us a lot deeper into their kind of psyche and into this world, um, but all while having fun. Yeah, and, and it, pl- it it kind of plays in the archetypes, but it deepens those characters. And I think that's what you're getting to with Kevin Spacey's Doc, right? Let's let's just go to him and we'll we'll bounce around. He plays, you know, it, it's not really the antagonist. He, I guess he becomes the antagonist at, at some point, but really, Baby is uh, he's up against his own choices you know or his own uh unfortunate circumstances or wh- yeah. whatever you want to argue there like he's he's not so much fighting against kevin spacey personally as he is the world he finds himself in but doc kevin spacey's character is our big bad for sure like he right if we're talking about thief parallels he is our leo right he's our robert prosky and um he uh he's so stinking good in this movie i mean like i i almost always love a kevin spacey performance because he has that just like raw charisma. He brings himself to the role, but just like whip smart timing on the dialogue. And I'm not sure if that's his instinct plus Edgar Wright or the script being so tight or what, but like his, his verbal like comedic timing is so good. You know, he, 
he plays this bad villainous character in a way that's sort of like bookish and nerdy, you know, like he's got a little yeah. case for his hot wheels that he uses to show how the, the, the different heists are going to go down. He puts those all back into their little spots. But at the same time, you know, he also has lines like, well, I don't need to tell you I can break your legs and kill everyone, you know, you know, like, and he just says right. it like under his breath. So he has that menace to him, but it's also not like, it doesn't feel the need to be like puffery. Like he just says it matter of factly. He also, because this movie is fun and, and you're kind of in this very visual, very, very Edgar Wright universe, you also get away with him, you know, bringing his nephew along at one point. Oh, that's so good. Who's like, you know, chop off the old, chip off the old block or whatever yes. he says. Um, you know, it's just like that's the family business is whatever kind of crime he's in <laughs> just all and bad it's things all, yes it's it's not quite played tongue in cheek and i really don't know who else could do it as well as kevin spacey it's just yeah. uh, and, and that goes really for just about all the all the actors and actresses in this movie there there's no miscasting here yeah and it's really hard to think of anybody else playing um any of these characters um i mean especially if we could go down to uh to, to Jamie Foxx as yes. bats. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, how 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 much fun is it to have to have someone who is really sadistic um and who is really menacing and just angry uh and frightening, but then to be able to like laugh, you know, when he says some of this stuff, you yeah. know. Not groovy, Not groovy JD. JD. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, man, it's such a beautiful portrayal and and I think for Doc and you know now talking about bats there's something true about about all these characters in this movie, but individually, I think there's something, that, uh, unlike Justice League, right? There's something relatable about these characters. Yeah. There's something like I kind of know that guy, you know. Even and it doesn't mean you know. I don't mean I know uh, uh, some kind of crime kingpin <laughs> yeah. in Atlanta that likes Hot Wheels, but I you know you you know a guy that that maybe is not involved with stuff that he should be or that is really smart and intelligent like that, but who still has a heart, yeah. you know? So, so like, at the end with, with Doc, you know, he's he's ready, really, like, Baby is kind of unraveled Doc's whole universe um, and doesn't really even seem to grasp that, and so he's kind of going to Doc for help, and Doc's like, screw you, kid. Yeah. I You know, like, get out of here. And then he sees Deborah, who is, you know, baby's love interest. And it just, just like that, he, he switches. Like, yep. and, and you buy it in the movie, which is what's so amazing. It's That's not amazing, like, what? Yeah. How did that happen? I thought he it's was going like, to try to kill her because he sees, he says like, oh, look at you too. Now come, yeah. gra- come grab your tape, yeah. right? And then he just lets him grab his tape and you're like, what, what just happened? And then in the elevator, he has that line where he says... Mm. Uh, he says, I was in love once too, or whatever, you know, and Man, it's, that's yeah. it. That's the whole turn. But it's to, to take it back to, you know, Robert Prosky and Thief. It's like we see Leo in that movie go from the warm kind of inviting, you know what? Come on, we're going to make some money together. It's going to be fine. You're not really scared of him at first. And then he devolves into right. like Satan in the flesh, like horrifying. Right. Kevin right. Spacey comes off as, you know, more. Uh, aggressive and villainous and then at the end he has this really interesting i'm not going to call it a redemptive arc but he does show like dimension and humanity like that's and how how does how does edgar wright get us to buy into that is the real question that's uh that is the million dollar question man and i think the answer might be that he invites us to experience each of these people individually and yeah. then, because even even like with Joe Bernthal's character that shows up in the beginning, right? 
Um, the, yes, he's he's in the movie for five minutes or whatever. And, I love and him as a character actor, by the way. He's, he's oh he's yeah, really good. man, and and not as the Punisher. Um, I didn't even watch it. Right? Okay. Yeah. Well, don't start now. Yeah. Um, and it's not his fault. No, no, no disrespect to you, John. That movie. Um, could, I mean, that series could have been directed by Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it? It seems yeah. like it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, it, it's just I think Wright has this ability to uh as reflected as because this movie to, to mr wright's credit he really he does not always play in the same sandbox he's willing to yes it's very distinctively his style yeah and his visual kind of you know eccentricities in a very positive way but this is not hot fuzz no uh, this is not scott pilgrim versus the world you'd never get that confused even if you can tell it's the same director yeah and so in this movie i feel like at, at least in the limited purview and experience i have with with his filmography it's really clear that this movie is much more concerned about getting your heart in- yes. invested in these characters and so even though john bernthal uh whatever his character's name is griff, griff or something yeah Okay, even though he he is not nice, there is still something very you 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 he's not um reduced to one no one's one dimensional. I yeah. think that's that's the first part of the equation. Yeah. He he is yeah, he's probably pretty violent, but um and not a nice person obviously in the way he talks to to baby. Yep. But you still buy him as a human being. And I think that's true for everybody. It's yeah. true for Doc, it's true for for Deborah. Everyone is a human being. Yeah. So when they have some kind of tragedy, and even Bats, yeah, Bats is is evil, but you get that he's still a, he's still a human. He's not just some kind of monster. Yeah. He's not Dracula. He is still a guy. He's just a guy that's been through who knows what. Obviously, some some hurt and some tragedy. Um, and he's just chosen like this is my road. I mean, wh- what does he say when? But he's like, "Hey, go get. Can you get me some gum?" And he throws a bunch of gum in the back, <laughs> just boxes. And Buddy's like, "What? Did you steal this?" He said, "You said you wanted gum. What am I supposed to do? Pay for it?" Yeah, it's like that. I mean, that's just such a beautiful insight into how that character would think. Yeah. And so, going back to your question, I think we buy Kevin Spacey's turn because we've already bought him as a human being. Yeah, for we've sure. already bought him as a guy that is real. So no, even though. Even though he is the he was kind of the big bad when he's like forcing baby to do these drives at the end, even though it's all falling apart and and Kevin Spacey's enterprise is over, I think we buy that he is kind of a father figure for baby, yeah, and so he is and he sees like, oh, baby's found happiness, he's found his Deborah. All right, baby, let me grab my sawed-off shotgun and see if I can get you out of here, boy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's just kind of, it's kind of sweet, you know, and you kind of... And then he kind of dies walk, horrifically. <laughs> and then he, yeah, gets shot and run over. Oh, when he gets uh, run over, man, that is, ins- like, the, the violence in this movie is, it's so tonally, like, consistent that, like, it, it, it kind of straddles the line of being kind of gratuitous, but he always, like, has just enough fun with how these people get dispatched but cuts away at the right time too you know what i mean that's like a really neat trick um one guy who (laughs) sticks around for longer and has nine lives seemingly is john ham as buddy right he is i mean john ham's just like again if you've watched mad men or anything he pops up in he's just like 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 liquid charisma this guy he just like owns the screen uh, he's so funny. Like he is such a good yes. comedic actor at times. You know, he's not like 
flexing those muscles big time on Mad Men, but when he pops up in bit roles and stuff, he can yeah. really do like comedic timing really well. And in this movie, he plays um, perhaps the most like sane and reasonable seeming of all of the the thief people, the the lackeys to to Doc. Um, and you get a little bit of insight into him as well. He comes from, you know, Wall Street. And so he's kind of a white collar guy turned bad. And he has a, obviously has a Coke addiction because he keeps talking about filling his nose bags or whatever. Um, and uh, <laughs> this lady on his arm the whole time who's sort of his downfall in a way because she kind of goes rogue. But yeah, I loved John Hamm in this. Um, he he sidles up to to Baby in really interesting ways. He defends him at times. But then when it comes down to it and baby's trying to make a run for it, you know, he says like, don't make me do this. You know what I mean? Like there's this really great, you know, human moment there. And then right later on in the film, when, when darling, his, his, his sweet lady has been, you know, murdered in front of him, he, he turns on baby, which is kind of logical, right? Like baby got them into this mess with, with, with turning this heist sour. And then he doesn't uh, have any modus operandi other than to try to dispatch baby yeah and and to ham's credit yes he i mean i i loved in uh parks and rec when he shows up at the end as you know like the idiot intern or something oh, yeah. you know that they're always trying to fire he's yeah, like all he's, right guys well i'll so be at the good. subway you know it's <laughs> so good so yeah, yeah. I, I agree ham is super funny and but and like you said from from mad men or, or anything else ham has done you know that he has incredible dramatic chops yeah and uh what well, I, this is kind of the first time i've seen ham in a role where the, he he's he's so he's one of those actors man that can just convey it all with his eyes if he needs to so you've got him in the in the diner where darling gives that really ridiculous monologue to bats about you know like that ends with like when my buddy sees red the only thing you're gonna see is black or something really ridiculous like that but Ham's eyes tell like she could she could not say anything, and I, I'm not saying that she shouldn't because I think that the whole point of that scene is really well done. But just the way Ham looks at bats, is, yep. it sells it, man. And it's like y- you said the dialogue's ridiculous, and it is. And so Jamie Foxx's character says like, "Oh, nice speech. Did you rehearse that one?" And but at the same time, when you're looking at John Ham, you're like, uh, "I kind of believe it." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so. It, it, I think that is maybe accentuated or or they put an exponent on it or whatever you have at the end where he, you know, like you said, his mission is to kill baby, but it's not, it, you, you don't see him as just like the, the desperate actions of a man fated to die. No. It's like he is, he has, I, I don't know how you convey this with your eyes, but John Hamm does. When when him and Baby are kind of like driving at each other, trying to drive each other's car, you know, they're touching nose to nose. It's and so they're trying to stinking push crazy, each, yeah. Push each other's car or whatever, which totally works in this movie. Yep. Would be stupid elsewhere, but it's not Blues Brothers. It's Baby Driver. And hey, uh, I like Blues Brothers. I I do too. But I'm saying that's a comedy. Like you yeah. can it, it gets away with it totally, in a different totally. Way, you know. My point is that Baby and 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 Buddy are looking. It sounds like we're talking about Elf, but no, we're talking about Baby <laughs> Driver. They're uh, looking at each other, and well, Baby looks really determined, and Ansel Elgort is is selling it as as Baby. When you get the close up, like the Sergio Leone Good, Bad, and the Ugly close up oh, yeah. of John Hamm's eyes, it's like that is a guy that is just he is he does not give an f about the consequences anymore. Yep, he does not care. It does not matter if he knew, like, in five seconds, I am going to be disemboweled. 
doesn't matter to this guy. He is just laser focused on killing this person, on murdering another human being. Yes. Uh, and and so the the power of that in in acting alone, I think, is uh, is all to Mister Ham's credit. So give it up for Johnny, everybody. Give him a round of hams, uh, honey mm. honey cured hams. Uh, Indeed. Let's let's move on to uh, Deborah, played by Lily James. Um, she is the love interest to our main character here and before we get into her acting or what they do with her character i don't know if you had the same freaking visual deja vu justin but Uh when he sits in this diner which is super retro and like old school and she walks in and approaches him for the first time with her headphones off the diner dress and her face looked like seriously like did that remind you of anybody from twin peaks a little bit oh yeah spinning image of what Madchen Amik? I don't know how to say her name. Ma- Madchen is it? Madchen, yeah, like, you might be right. I don't know. They seriously yes. look like they could be like twins, like so yeah. similar. I wonder if that was a casting choice because the diner itself is, you know, it's not like a Twin Peaks world where it's otherworldly and weird things are going on with you know black lodges and such. But <laughs> but like there's 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 a look there, man. That is very much like the character from Twin Peaks. Absolutely. And then it does kind of, um, you know, devolve into, well, devolve, that makes it sound like it's bad. But what I'm trying to say is it quickly asserts itself as its own world. Sure. So yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of think that and then I'm I'm waiting for the Twin Peaks soundtrack, you know, the the walking bass line. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't come, thankfully, because that would be a little freaky. And then I'd have to call David and sort it all out. Um, and find my medication. And he'd be again. like, the time is 9.37 p.m. <laughs> 43. Um, <laughs> Thanks, David. And then, it, then it'd be over. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it is interesting, you know, because, again, I think her, her the dress that they make her wear, I don't mean just, just <laughs> in the diner, but, like, the 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 wardrobe that yeah, she yeah, wears yeah. While, while employed there, it's not rooted in reality anymore, yeah. right? But, again, it's just kind of, I, I don't mean this in an exploitative sense. I mean that it's kind of fun in that it's just very it it's just another manifestation of of Wright's visual style and yeah. of this world being unique uh, and not reality. Right. Like it would be a bit of a bummer, honestly, if she came out like wearing khakis uh, <laughs> and, and a like Denny a shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that would be that would be a killer, man. Yeah, and again, killer. I don't mean that in any kind of. Um, like I'm, I'm all about seeing more skin or whatever, anything creepy like that. It's just no, it just wouldn't make sense it, aesthetically. Like it, it wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about ogling anyone. It's just, it, yeah. If she came out and she was in a Caro's uniform with like, <laughs> it would be, it wouldn't make sense in Edgar Wright's world. And this world, right? It's like, how do we start this movie? We start with this like, like freaking bumping sequence where. Baby drives up, people get out and go do the robbery. And he's just like dancing in a car. And then yeah. that that cuts to him doing his like opening credit sequence dance through the street. And this is where you get to see that like fully realized, like crazy detailed precision of like the music choice plus the choreography. Plus there's like graffiti on the walls behind him that match the lyric that happens to be happening while he's walking by it, like and there's character beat stuff in the lyrics too, right? Like it's talking about yes. like a man who needs a thing. And like, it's like, it, it totally makes sense with what you're watching. It's, it's, you know, Edgar Wright has done music videos before and you can see why he would be like the absolute perfect fit because 
he has a real story to tell, but he understands how music can serve the movie. And what do you think about, I mean, this movie is one giant needle drop after another. Yeah, it is. And that's not only the credit to Edgar Wright um, for figuring out and, and licensing all, all these songs, you know. But I think the unsung hero might be uh, Mr. Paul Matchless, who is um, the, the editor that apparently Edgar Wright... Um, uh, told essentially, you need to be you need to be on set with me every day. Yeah. Um. Because this is his, his vision for you know editing this is obviously like we've just talked about with the needle drops and 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 seeing words in graffiti as that word is being sung. That stuff can't happen by accident. No. You know? And so, um, uh, it it just is very clear that there was such a distilled such such a specific style and such an incredibly fine-tuned timing needed to make this work that the the challenge to me is really like how how the heck are you going to edit this in a way that that accomplishes that so there's a great article if it maybe we could link it even on our social media okie dokie um, travis but there's a uh there's an article that i had read a few years ago when this movie came out on a website called premium beat and it was a uh, interview with paul matchless yeah um and and he talks about how he had uh, worked with Mr. Wright to, um, to to accomplish what they did, and essentially what they did is just Paul was <laughs> on set every day, um, and and as Edgar would would shoot stuff, he would even before they're done and they're looking at dailies, they'd shoot it, they'd get it to Paul, he'd try to sync it up, you know, because they obviously they're working off the script, they're just shooting and editing on the same day, yeah. And so if there was a part where it's like Paul's like, hey, no, 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 we got it, you get this has got to be extended or you need a different shot here, or whatever. Okay, great, and they just go shoot it right then and there. Um, so it just a really. I, you know, for for as amazing as the acting is and, and the directing, the very specific visual style, I, I feel like uh, the the guy that you you never see and who doesn't you know walk the red carpet necessarily for this, um, probably deserves a heck of a lot of credit for making Baby Driver what it is. Yeah, well, he certainly didn't because of Dunkirk. Thanks a lot, Christopher Nolan. Um, <laughs> so as we uh, work our way through the characters here, Lily James is Deborah in general, just like she's really good. Like she sells yeah. again some dialogue that could be melodramatic as just like i believe it it fits in the world nobody says a line in this movie that i'm like eh, it could have been like the there could have been another take there's not one there's no yeah there's no editing like lost here but it's also not over edited where it's like cut 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 and it's exhausting it's just like like masterfully done i don't know how else to put it um what about um isa gonzalez as darling not not given i don't think as much to do but she does quite a lot with what they give her she does and she has to me she gives the the closest thing to breaking the fabric of reality yes and 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 just stretching it just a little bit too far I'm, i'm talking about their like shootout at the end yeah um you know where where it's almost we get like just a couple percentage of like hot fuzz ridiculousness. And I, I think the reason it's, it's forgivable, at least in my opinion, tell me if it's not forgivable for you, but the reason that we get, you know, John Hamm on one hand has got like his AR 15 and is obviously, you know, using these things called sights or optics and, you know, looking through and yeah, aiming yeah. at things and then pulling the trigger. She's just got like a couple submachine guns, one in each hand and is like, you know, down at waist level. More. Yes. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of stuff. Yeah. But I mean her character is kind of nuts. Impulsive and yeah. and yeah, nuts. Yes, exactly. Um 
that's a scientist. Again, I feel like doctor. Is that you? It's me. Um, Take all your pills. Yeah, okay. Put them in your mouth. Okay. <laughs> um, so she. That's how I do it. You had them in the um, palm of your hand already. Yeah, I'm just ready to go. When the doctor says put them in your mouth, I'm just like ten uh, four. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, she she I I think sells it because she is uh, <laughs> unhinged again in a way that is kind of fun and r- relatable in that I think we all maybe um, have encountered someone that that is like impulsive and it's like, Oh, don't, don't say that, you know, don't, Oh, you should really just let that go. Or, Oh, don't do it. Why did you do that? <laughs> you know? And, and she is, is that, but you know, um, taken to a much higher degree for sure. Um, so yeah, she doesn't, she, she is much more of a side character. She doesn't have, um, a lot to do. Um, but, um, what, what she does, I, I, I don't have, like, like with Lily James, I don't have any complaints. They, yeah. I, I wouldn't want anyone else to, do those roles yeah i don't think so either i think they're all really well cast and they fit the mold really well there's a couple more side characters like that too which you know we don't need to talk about for hours but like we we mentioned you know not groovy jd not groovy at all and jd is the uh the guy who he goes on the heist with jamie fox the first time and he leaves his gun behind and um he has a great moment where he's introduced where he talks about his neck tattoo <laughs> and he says uh you know like what does your neck tattoo say say hat and he's like used to say hate but i i got the e covered up so i could get you know a better chance of getting jobs and job interviews or whatever and he's like oh really and he's like yeah who doesn't like hats you know <laughs> so it's just like well and then he has the beautiful uh mix up with getting the mike myers oh mask, that's so right? good it's so good I, I knew the minute he said like Okay, and the wardrobe is the Michael Myers mask from Halloween, and everyone's like, "Yep, check, got it." And I knew, I knew that was gonna come back in some way. And as soon as he puts his mask on, he's like, "What? What is this?" You know, it's like so, <laughs> so perfect for this movie. And and it doesn't end up mattering, like it doesn't become the downfall of the heist or anything. It's just like fun to go along with what's already happening. Well, and and with with that scene too. Uh, again, we get really close to something that makes zero sense. But I think the movie gets away with it. And that's that this movie, or uh, this movie, the heist that JD and, and Bats are involved with Baby at first uh, very nearly gets derailed because some a good random Samaritan, guy yes. in, in a Dodge Ram has like a whole arsenal. He like <laughs> is the Punisher, apparently. So ridiculous. And, and so, I, and, and a, you know, at, on my initial viewing in the movie, I'm thinking as it's going along, like, is this guy like undercover? Yeah. Was he watching that? Yeah. But no. He just freaking has machine guns and, you know, he's just like, he, he is that guns and ammo guy, I guess, that had been waiting for that moment. This is my time. Um, yes, exactly. Right. Like, I'm going to get him now. I am the good guy with a gun. I'm the guy. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, you know, to this movie's credit, I, I think because that is that guy just, you know, again, like every other character in this movie, just taken kind of to an extreme, but... It, not to an extreme that it's like, okay, I don't, you know, that's not a person anymore. He just, he is that guy that's like, if that guy is going to exist in the world, if there's going to be that guy who's like, no, 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 I've got a gun in my car, I'm going to stop these guys, you know, I'm going <laughs> to help the cops out. I mean, those people do exist. Yes. And so I think to give that guy, uh, you know, <laughs> a little bit of, of credence and agency is, is kind of fun. Yeah, it's fun. And uh, I do think uh, we're talking about humanity. One other, um, one other example of making something deeper than it 
totally than it ever needed to be is, you know, JD forgets his gun, right? And that's like, oh no, JD, that was a big mistake, right? Because, you know, it's got fingerprints or it can be traced or whatever. So yeah. Don't do that, I guess, if you're uh, robbing someplace, people. Just don't forget your gun. Um, right. You know, don't forget <laughs> your the lesson here. Yeah. Your medical card and your, uh, you know, ID and your gun. Right. Um, <clears throat> so they get back to headquarters and, uh, the, I just love that moment where like Jamie Foxx is in the car with 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 Enzo Elgort's character Baby, and they look over at him and he just says something about it. it's like you know that guy's an idiot or something. But the look on JD's face is like I'm dead. Like he knows. Like he has this like yeah. real moment of like fear, and he just knows like I've really screwed the pooch. And and then he does get dead. Um, but it it's 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 deeper than it needs to be. You know they do more with that than they absolutely right. need to. And then there's C.J. Jones' character, Joseph, who's like the adopted father, adoptive father of Baby. Uh, their relationship's really, uh, you know, it's like layered and nuanced, and he's kind of this voice of good speaking into Baby's ear, you know, talking about his money, calling it dirty money. Um, all that stuff is, you know, that that's where the heart of the movie kind of lies, really. I mean, the romance is what it is. It's romance, you know, and it it certainly goes as deep as a young romance can go. But really, the moral center of this is like baby being pulled in one direction by his driving and his criminal lifestyle and Joseph in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, baby does uh, eschew violence. You can tell like when they're in this first few heists and someone, you know, he sees the blood on the ground because someone had to bop that guy in the face, or I don't think he got shot, but they, they don't really say. When he sees the blood, you can see him. He has remorse, and he like for a moment, he's like, oh, gosh, you know? And then later on, when, when Bats is going to blow you know the Good Samaritan's face off on the freeway, he does a move where he turns the car real fast, but also knocks the shotgun out of the way. And uh, what do you think? Does, does Joseph have a, a pull on him morally? Yeah, I I think obviously he does, and and ultimately that's why I think Baby, you know, wants to get him to safety, whether that's just filial feelings or his own morality kind of overriding um, the selfishness, you know, the selfishness of self preservation. Um, yeah, and and I I do like that that they hired someone that is actually deaf, you know, um, to to play that character. I think that was a a good choice, and and to to C.J. Jones's credit, I mean he he sells the heck out of it from their very very first interaction in the home. Um, I I buy that they are um, a family, albeit foster whatever. Um, and and it's uh, just again another another example of just a different. Uh, you know, we're talking about like why why does this movie work? And I think it's because. No, there's no two characters that are like, ah, eh, they're kind of the same, you know, or ah, eh, mm-hmm. person really didn't have much to do, even if they're not in there very much. Even, I mean, we have freaking Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers in here as Eddie No-Nos, you know, just like, but, and he's in here for a couple seconds and, and he's able to sell it. Um, and, that's, and what does he, he say? That's a, that's a no-nos, no-no number one or something. Yeah. <laughs> Some ridiculous like, yeah. Amazing. It's just stupid, but fun, yeah. you know? Um, and, and so I think CJ Jones just brings a different, just another spectrum of here's someone else that exists in humanity. Here's someone else you can relate to. And there's great little bits in there. Like that are like, they sell the realness of it because like the peanut butter to the edges, you know, that kind of thing, which is just a small detail, but it's like an idiosyncrasy that feels so true to life. You know, uh, it's just really good detail. Any other 
characters in here that we, I mean, there, there are some more, but I think most of them are, are covered pretty thoroughly by our, uh, however long this conversation has been. Uh, should we get yeah. into like what the heck it's saying and whether it's worth our time? Let's do it. This is a section called Time Served. You want about the law or something? No, it's okay. I'm so very sorry. I propose that we consider this matter closed. <laughs> I sure hope you didn't do anything stupid, Jackie. See you when I see you. All right, so um, Justin, why don't you get us started in this section? How often would you rewatch it, and what the heck is it saying? Well, it's such a fun movie that, you know, you could watch this every few months, you know. I, I mean, I'm not probably going to watch it every two months, but if I saw it uh, twice a year, that'd probably be... It, it, you just can. I don't feel like there's anything in here. You know, there's some movies where it's like, I really liked that movie, but I didn't like I didn't like this part, or, yeah. you know, that was a little uncomfortable, or, you know, it, it's th- this is not that movie. And it has the blessing of of actually saying something. Yeah. And what I what I think it's saying is that you know stri- stripped of all the technical brilliance of this movie and all the wonderful music that just adds to depth for these characters, it says that humanity is is uh, driven by a need for community. Um, <laughs> I feel kind of like Christopher Nolan. I feel kind of <laughs> stupid and pretentious saying some of this stuff. But I mean, really, I I do. This the the brilliance of this movie to me is that it's not a movie that is like we're gonna unlock some deeper truth. You know, it's like, hey, this is a movie that's fun. Buckle up, it's gonna be awesome. And it delivers on that level. But I think what it's saying is that um well, I guess one, it, you know, uh people can do amazing freaking things when they're all talented. This is a movie that is saying that people people need people. We need each other to kind of get through this thing and um that that baby baby needs even even some of these people that are bad like doc um to really to try to find the light and none of these characters make the right decision always no nobody in here even baby um just always makes the right decision and so it's even I I don't think Edgar Wright was even really trying for this Travis. Maybe he is and you know he's he's another genius on another level too. But I feel like these are all just happy accidents of of staying true to to the essentials of what it means to be human and what it means to kind of exist in the world where there is there is fallenness, you know, where there is sin, whatever you want to call it. Um and how do we how do we navigate that? And so unlike, if we can kind of try to bring it full circle, unlike Justice League, where the answer to that is just like, I don't know, I think we should all die. You know, this movie is more like, no, no, there is, we do have to work through these hard things. We do have to face death. We do have to come to some moral decisions about right and wrong. But then we can move on. And then we can, you know, sip on a margarita. Then we can take a long drive down the 20 and just not worry about where we're headed. And so I, I think that's kind of the, the thesis of the movie, I think is tied up into that line that you mentioned. And uh, and, and I think it works uh, for that reason, because that's kind of where the audience wants to get to. We all, you know, you're in the movie theater, maybe you've been working hard, and it's like, gosh, I've just been slaving away at work, or my boss is killing me, or whatever. 
or you know marriage ain't working out right whatever but you know you that that kind of idea of escapism and maybe it's more of a western idea but it's tantalizing like i want to get through the hard stuff and i want to earn that right to get behind the wheel and just drive yeah i i can't uh disagree man i think it's it's got more to say than it needs to to even make my you know i watch this you know something like once a year or even a few every few months or this is one of those movies where anytime someone was like i haven't seen this i'd be like oh we got to watch that like it's yeah it's just fun and you could have fun with a group of people watching it um it does some things that i really really like technically appreciate you know like edgar wright is so smart in the way he constructs sequences especially when when music is like the backbone to those sequences. And this is like a whole movie full of that. You know, he does that stuff in, in Shaun of the Dead. Um, you know, there's a, there's a great sequence where they're like beating zombies with, with cricket paddles in Shaun of the Dead, where they're doing it to the beat of music and hot fuzz where they're like getting all their guns and like, you know, you know, going with the shotguns to the beat of them. Like all of that is, it's kind of in his, in his DNA, but I feel like this might be, peak Edgar Wright when he's not doing uh, a pseudo parody of something, right? This is its own yeah. thing. Um, the only thing it might be indebted to is, you know, other driving movies like bullet or, you know, the Italian job or, you know, stuff, stuff like that. That's, uh, you know, just really car centric, but the characters are the thing here, you know, the characters are the thing. And, you know, baby is like, you know, a, a PTSD character of sorts, right? Like he suffered this big loss that changed him physically and emotionally. Um, I'm going to say like, yeah, actions and consequences, like we talked about in thief, they matter. And you know, they, they, they really drive the story. But I think the thing I appreciate about this movie the most is its depiction of like romance. Like it's just not, it's not a thing that you see in film that is uh, it's like pure in what it is. And at the same time, uh, it's not like so like crazy over the top sappy or melodramatic. Like I just believe that these two people shared a little bit of a common interest, you know, baby and Deborah, they're both looking for something more and that might, that picture might include each other. And so like when they fall for each other, you know, it, it, it it's believable and it's, it's, it's a warm thing, like a feeling that it produces in the viewer. And it also, it, it raises the stakes in a necessary way for the climax of the movie. Um, so yeah, I think uh, this is the one of the best romantic comedies I've seen in a while. <laughs> um, and yeah. and uh, the action sequences are killer. Uh, it's fun, fun, fun. So much fun. And uh, yeah, I can't say anything, anything negative about it. I think uh, it was a great way. So many heists in this one movie to end our uh, heist series on. And I think we are ready, Justin, to vroom vroom into the 40s, don't you think? Let's get in the Buick and blast off. Yes. Well, that just about does it, Justin, for uh, walking through the heist movies of season two. I had so much fun. How about you? Yeah, it was a little little different um, than the 30s because uh, it wasn't 30s movies. It was heist movies. That was the and main so, difference, yes. Yeah. So now that we're not doing heist movies, let's go do 40s movies. Let's, let's do, do it. Let's do it right. Yes. Let's finally get to Bob Newhart. Yeah, he's still uh, on the line, folks. Uh, Autobots roll out. See you next week. Bye.
the movie speaks. Hey, since you're still here and still listening, thank you, by the way. We'd like to ask an additional favor of you. We have social media. It's a thing on the internet, and all you need to do is find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and like and subscribe. I know this is annoying, but we have to ask you because we want more people to hear the show. In addition to that, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, we would greatly appreciate it. See you next week. Bye.